Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever it is that you're listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter or X at Bastards underscore Boston. I am your host, Charlie Smith, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. You can find me on Twitter at Smith underscore MLB. Our other hosts for this episode are Terry Cushman, coming to us from Myrtle Beach in South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine, and Cody Paulson, coming to us from Houston, Texas by way of Ponte Vedra, Florida. Cody, how are you doing, and where can the fans find you on Twitter slash X? Charlie, to be honest with you, uh, I could be doing a little bit better. I got some news today that we're going to definitely discuss, um, you know, wrap up of the season as well, which is never a fun time, especially when there's no postseason baseball to look forward to. Um, even though it's 162 games, they seem to come and go a little bit too quickly. Uh, for those that are trying to find me on Twitter slash X, they can find me at the Cody Paulson. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk some ball. Charlie and Terry, how are you guys doing tonight? Similar to you, Cody, feeling the same kind of down. We're going to be getting into that in a minute. Uh, Terry, also, welcome. How are you doing? Where can the fans find you? I'm doing all right. The fans can find me at Cushman MLB. And if you're wondering where I am in the Red Sox most hated tournament, I have advanced to the finals. I It appears that I beat Dr. Jim Dalfino, who guest hosted this podcast probably about three and a half weeks ago, uh, beat him by just one vote, literally, razor thin. And then I had Dan Shaughnessy, like the goat of all, you know, hated Red Sox media, someone that I'm a huge fan of. And uh, I beat him very narrowly, 51% to 49%. So I have Craig Teed in the finals. So, And for those that don't know who that is, <laughs> educate yourselves because we're not going to give him any clout on this show. Um, He's creepy. Let's just say that. We'll say A that high exactly. level of creepiness. The highest. Uh, the Red Sox wrap up the last four games of the season with a two-game split a piece here two for baltimore two for boston they finish up the regular season 78 and 84 but as cody and i were alluding to earlier none of this matters you know none of this is really important the games seem to come by and start and end all too soon but today we're going to be doing something a little bit different uh as most red sox fans have heard and for those Shockingly enough, if you have not heard, um, Tim Wakefield has passed away today. Tim Wakefield was known for being an absolute Red Sox legend, a two-time World Series champion, an absolute star for 17 years after a couple of years with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And it still really hasn't sunk in, but anyone who's had the opportunity to meet and have him as a teammate, a friend, uh, a colleague, have said nothing but the kindest, most genuine things about, you know, Uncle Tim, essentially. He was like, he was one of the best and literally was known for having one of the sickest pitches in baseball that since he he left the game has not been able to re be replicated, even though we've had other knuckleballers in the league. 
it will probably be a very long time before someone can come remotely close to Tim Wakefield. But I'm going to pass it off to to Cody, and then uh, we'll shift over to Terry. We'll have a conversation about this. When news like this comes across the desk or the timeline or, you know, the notification center, um, it really just kind of makes you stop and think about how fragile life is, right? You know, this is somebody um, who I think a lot of us grew up watching, uh, you know, throw that bedazzling dancing knuckleball. And he was always my favorite box score to, to watch. You know, growing up in Florida, we didn't have access to the Nesson channel. So the only time I really got to see him pitch was, you know, if I was able to get online to, to watch the, the highlights or, you know, when, when sports center would do the snippets of the games. Um, and you know, it's, it's just a shame, right? This is a guy that was in the booth with us this year. Um, you know, like you mentioned, a consummate professional, somebody that just embodied what it was to be a Red Sox. And, you know, when you Google this guy, sure, you see, you know, 200 wins, two times world series champion, number one innings for the Red Sox, yada, yada, yada. But the number one thing that comes up when you Google Tim Wakefield is Roberto Clemente award winner, right? And that's the type of individual that this was, you know, somebody that, yeah, might not have had the most storied career or, you know, the, the best statistics, but through and through was just one of the best guys in the sport. And everybody that speaks of him speaks glowingly. Uh, you know, Alex Cora dedicated today's game. Uh, you know, thankfully it was a win, but to wake, right? And and that's all you can really do is, is tip your cap to you know, a legend, uh, a Red Sox legend at that. And, um, you know, just hold your loved ones close and, you know, send your thought and prayers to to the Wakefield family and to everybody that's in, a, in his inner circle. The Red Sox organization, you know, we do the Jimmy Fund every year and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of taking care of people that have cancer and, um, Jerry Remy had a 12 year battle with, with it starting in, in 2009. And it was a very, you know, emotional battle, not just for him, but for the fans, you know, all the leaves of absences he had to, you know, have to go back to, you know, regular treatment again. And, hoping he'll come back and and it was just up and down for for those 12 years and but it, it was a long time and when he passed away in October of 2021 you're never truly ready for it but you understand it and you come to accept it you know it was a long battle for him and we were lucky to have him you know for as long as we did and you know throughout all those championship seasons and then it's just so stunning. Like the Wakefield's part of it all is just so impossible to process because we didn't know he was even sick until three days ago, controversially. Another, you know, player with Red Sox ties kind of leaked it without permission to the family. It was an unfair controversy for the Wakefield family. And then, what, two or three days later, he's gone. He's gone. And it's just so stunning. Like you're you're trying to make sense of it. There are a couple of reports out there. He he had a seizure, and, and perhaps that was was what you know kind of ended things for him. Alex Cora just today uh, in a in an interview with Nesson said that Wakefield was in his office on September 14th. He was set to have surgery that next day, but 
But despite the situation, Wakefield on that day with Cora was saying, you know, I'll be fine. Things are fine. And the majority of their conversation was just about baseball. And Charlie, you, you talk about, you know, all the charitable things and, and Cody as well with the, you know, Roberto Clemente award and about that award, one player from every team is nominated for that every year for their charitable work. So to get nominated is a huge honor to be recognized for all the work you do, but to be the one out of the 30 players that actually wins it, you know, that, that was, that was huge, you know, for Wakefield and uh, Pete Abraham today was saying in an interview, I don't know if it was with Tom Karen, but you know, it was on Nesson. Um, he was saying whenever he saw Wakefield, you know, in the last several years, he was always on his way to help somebody else, whether it was that person's charity golf tournament, just to be there to lend a helping hand. He was, he was always helping someone else. And how many people are, are that tenured? Uh, in this organization, you know, Pedro Martinez, I guess, could kind of be one, you know, because he arrived here in 97. He did leave a few years to play for the Mets, played for the Phillies, uh, most notably in the 2009 World Series. And, you know, when his career ended, he he's essentially been back in Boston. But I can't think of anybody, you know, with Jerry Remy's passing, who else has been a constant in some role within the fan base, whether it's a player or whoever, there's nobody. You got to go all the way back to 1995. And, you know, I had a tweet today. It was, you know, somewhat of a, a tribute to him. And when he came to the Red Sox, Lester and Buckholtz were both 10 years old. And then in 2011, they shared the mound together. That was ended up being Wakefield's final season. He was 45 years old. And, um, you know, Buckholtz and Lester were, were both 27 by that point. So just the, the players, I, I can't say generations of players, but all those rosters year after year, you know, he had a huge impact. And so many players have been saying that today. So uh, really quickly to, to tie into what you said about Tim Wakefield, as Cody mentioned, he won the Roberto Clemente Award back in 2010. The following year, we had another Red Sox win it, Big Poppy. Tim Wakefield was nominated eight times for the Roberto Clemente Award, eight times. And like you mentioned, he was always on his way to helping someone I have two, they were gifted to me being a Red Sox fan. My great-grandmother, when she turned 90 and 100, signed Tim Wakefield autographs. The signature is the exact same. You know, that little deviation here or there, but almost the exact same thing. I don't think that that was fake. I, I genuinely think that was a real signature. And if I'm not mistaken, there might have been a, a meeting between the two of them, I don't know. I can't confirm, but it wouldn't surprise me just hearing all the stories that everybody has said about Tim Wakefield being that person that, you know, exemplified team first. My needs would come way after everything else of the team and just doing everything. He understood that the reason why he and the Red Sox were as big as they were 
were because of the fans. And I really think that's something we can't really give enough credit to. Very few guys in Major League Baseball look at the sport and carry themselves the way that Tim Wakefield did. So it's it's a grand loss in in a multitude of manners, um, and and to some degree, it's still left us speechless because we found out a couple of days ago, and like you said, it, it's happened already. So life is precious. Um, I'm I'm still to some degree speechless when I when I saw the when I saw the news. It's just it's it's devastating. Yeah, Cody. A couple of things. Um, one, you know, I want to give a shout out to to George Kirby of the Seattle Mariners. Uh, heard that he threw out a knuckleball uh, as a first pitch today in in their game, and it was a pretty big game at that. Um, as a tribute to Wakefield, and you know, to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, Charlie, uh, there's not that many knuckleballers. Uh, even in the minors, let alone the majors, let alone to have the kind of success that Tim Wakefield had. And, you know, to see all the things that he overcame and to see all the challenges that he triumphed over in his career, to have a 19-year major league career as a knuckleballer, um, you know, I think when we all unexpectedly heard the news a few days ago, we're like, this guy's overcome, you know, a, a mountain of of obstacles in the past. You know, no doubt he's going to be able to get through this. And to what you're saying, Terry, it's it's still a shock, right? You know, this is this is a guy that has done nothing but overcome things, and it's it's just you know a real real shame to be having to do this as a topic of conversation, and and it's just it's difficult. Well, let's just kind of get into his career right now. Um, in his book, he was saying how he actually came up as a as an infielder. And he hit only he hit just 184 in his first 54 minor league games, and it wasn't looking good. It wasn't looking like he was on the verge of this, you know, 25, 30 year career if you count the minors and all that. And one of his coaches, I, I don't know what league it was at that time, what level of the minors I should say, was watching him throw a knuckleball. And that's how it started. And they told him, they said, listen, it's either pitch or go home. And Wakefield says, I guess I'll pitch. And, you know, that was that was just kind of the start of it. Um, I didn't know this until today. I did know he came up through the Pirates organization. I didn't know about his playoff, uh, you know, run. The, the Pirates in 1992 went to the... Uh, NLCS played the Braves. The Braves ended up winning that that in seven games, then lost to the Blue Jays uh, in the in the first of the two Blue Jays championship seasons. Game three. Uh, Tim Wakefield, how many innings do you think he pitched? In in which in which series? It was the Braves series in the NLTS. In 92? Yep, game three. 17 innings. No, no, just in that game. Oh, just game, game three. three. I apologize. I'm sorry. Nine innings. He pitched all nine innings. Yeah. His first game that he ever pitched was a nine-inning, 10-strikeout, two-unearned run performance. With the I Red believe Sox? against – no, 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 oh, no. With he the started with Pittsburgh. Yeah, okay. It was nine innings. It's nine innings, 10 strikeouts. 
Um, he walked a couple, obviously, throws a knuckleball, and he allowed two unearned runs, and I think it was also against the Braves. I rant, This is so random. I think it was against the Braves, but he had a nine-inning a nine inning appearance his first his first start so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that he pitched all nine yeah he did do it and it it was a it was a three to two game and uh wakefield gave up the two runs he gave up were solo home runs and just you know it just it's a great story and maybe that was maybe that moment was what led to you know a a second chance with boston and then and then a a 17-year run it was against uh, St. Louis. Excuse me. I just looked it up. 1992, July 31st, nine innings, 10 strikeouts, four walks, two runs on six hits, none earned. That's insane. So he also pitched in game six. I'm just pulling this up right now. Pitched all nine innings again. It wasn't It wasn't quite as spectacular. He did give up four runs. He did have four walks. But um, he had tons of run support, and you know the the Pirates won that game um, thirteen to four, which sent them to Game Seven. The Braves obviously won that game, and that was that was who Wakefield was. I mean, if even if he wasn't going to win the game for you, if your bullpen needed a rest, he was going to stay in the game. He, he would tell Terry Francona that just on a random night in August. Be like, listen, if I'm getting killed, just just leave me out there. You know, let's just take the L, rest the bullpen, and we'll be better off the next few games because of that. Go ahead. I mean, he did that in uh, game three of the 04 ALCS, right? Like he forewent his, his next start to say like, hey, bullpen's up against it. These guys have been getting shellacked. Like, let me go out there. I'll eat up some innings and we'll get them tomorrow. And, you know, thankfully we were able to turn that one around and, you know, the bullpen had to go, I think another six innings. So that was an extra inning marathon, but that was the type of guy he was, you know, and I think many people forget in 03, he probably would have been the ALCS MVP, you know, if it not be for Aaron Boone, a game one and game four winner of of that series as well. The guy did it, you know, in the regular season, he did it in the postseason. He was always ready for the challenge. I actually basically covered the 2003 uh, ALCS in the in the tribute thing that I posted, and you know I said that you know a lot of people will remember you know the walk off by Boone, but before that he had pitched 14 innings in the in the ALCS. He had only allowed three runs before that. Had a 1.97 ERA. Got two wins out of it. Was credited for two wins in the 2003 ALCS. With a little bit more run support, maybe a little bit better management of Pedro Martinez by Grady Little. The Red Sox probably advanced beyond that. And then Tim Wakefield is a very unlikely ALCS MVP. It could have happened. I don't have the offensive scores up here, but, um, you know, the the batting lines, but man, two wins. He's doing what you thought Pedro would be doing in in that series. And nobody really remembers that. And then he, at some point, I, I don't know, it wasn't long after that, you know, he was part of a press conference and the crowd just went wild, you know, for Wakefield. It wasn't, it wasn't like, 
a Bill Buckner moment from 86 to where, you know, there were mixed, mixed feelings. And I've never been a big blame Bill Buckner guy anyway, but um, a million things went wrong in that game before it ever got to Buckner, you know, going through his legs. And, you know, it's just, I'm glad he was a part, uh, you know, of, of our fan base. We were super lucky to have him. Um, I mean, I don't think words can really describe our thanks. I'm happy I got to see him play. I, I don't think in all the games that I've seen at Fenway Park, I think I saw more Tim Wakefield games than anyone else. I think I've seen maybe seven appearances of Pedro, maybe eight. Tim Wakefield, I think I've seen like 15. Like it was just... That was the starter, and we were totally cool with that. I've seen Chris Sale pitch twice in my life. I've seen um, Pavetta pitch once or twice. Terry, you and I, we saw um, Nasty Nate pitch together. Um, and it was just a whole bunch of like one-offs here and there, but it, it was just like destiny. That was the pitcher almost every single time, and you could see it. I mean, that pitch should not go 100 miles an hour. It took an extra second to get there. He was a one of a kind. And truth truth be told, he probably could have pitched well past 44 if he wanted to. He really probably could have been able to do it. Because that pitch does not stop doing what it's doing just because, you know, he gets a little bit older. You do not need to have a flame-throwing arm to throw that pitch. We were lucky to have seen it. I don't know how many knuckleballers have ever needed Tommy John. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's true, too. I mean, that's true, too. And another thing, too, was I don't really remember him announcing his retirement, but 2011 was his last season, and that happened to be the collapse season. Francona got fired, so, you know, he he didn't really... There were so many things going on around him. You know, I'm just... I wish, you know, he had a bigger moment uh, than he did. Do you remember when Mike Timlin had his arm around Tim Wakefield talking about Tim for the playoffs where Tim actually took himself off of the playoff roster and said, yeah, like if this, in order for this team to do better, I need to not be on the team. He took himself off the roster I saw that um, today, actually. Um, it was, I think, in the celebration, wasn't it? Of um, It would have been a celebration. Yeah. Yeah. And very un... He was so selfless, is I, I think what we've been trying to say all along. I mean, you know, with his charitable stuff and, and then on the field. Yeah. I mean, there's... I was looking through his... Because uh, I was looking at his playoff numbers earlier. And um, when I was researching 2003 and he didn't pitch uh, in the, let's see. Yeah. He didn't pitch in the world series at all. Was not on the roster. That's when he it, was not on it. That's when that was. Yeah. Um, you know, he did pitch uh, in the ALCS. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't a good start. 
uh, against Cleveland, took the loss, actually. That was a tough series for the Red Sox anyway. We were people talk about the 2004 ALCS being down 4 to nothing. We were down 3 to 1 against Cleveland after we won game 1. So then we dropped 3 straight. That forced us to have to win 3 straight. So he did pitch in there. Um didn't pitch uh in the ALDS. So he only made one start, one appearance that that whole uh 2007 run. But, yeah, that's just who he was. And I'm sure it was huge to still have him there, though, as Mike Timlin was saying. You know, just to have that voice, that veteran presence in the dugout, you know, when in the bad games and during the good games, I'm sure he was a good guy to turn to. Definition of team player. I... I can't think of another person. I mean, even if you gave me an hour, a day, a week, that was as selfless as Tim Wakefield. Literally saying, in order for this team to do to go to the next level and, and win this, I need to not be on the team. That takes a lot of courage to be able to say, yeah, Cap, like it, it's not happening. I don't have it or it's not working. I, sh- I shouldn't be there or I can't be there. I don't know if I could do something like that if I was in his shoes. I mean, that takes courage. That is a lot of courage to say, yeah, don't, don't put me in. Cody. I mean, especially to do it in a, in a town like Boston, right, to where it's, you know, if you ever take yourself out of the game or out of the fight or out of the roster, it's, oh, this guy can't handle a moment. This guy can't handle the pressure, right? That's That's the first thing people tend to jump to and, and to be able to, you know, uh, I guess have, uh, I don't want to say like self-esteem or, you know, whatever it ends up being, but to have the wherewithal to do that and to wear it and say like, look, this is, you know, what's best for the roster is, you know, like you said, to take yourself out of the equation, right. You're, you're thinking about the other 27 guys in the organization, 20, 27 other guys in, in the clubhouse, you know, when those rosters get expanded for the playoff push. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I think Red Sox Nations is just incredibly lucky and should be incredibly grateful that we were able to call him our own, you know, borrow him for that time. Right. Uh, you know, he'll he'll be a Red Sox forever for sure. But, you know, we, we, we're just fortunate. Another guy today that was probably as emotional as anyone I've seen in, in all the interviews. And I, I didn't I'm sure I didn't see all of them, but um Jason Veritek had a very tough time getting through the interview, extremely emotional and kind of a, a fun moment in Red Sox history, you know, indirectly. Um, well, I guess, I guess you can't even say indirectly had anything to do with Wakefield, but Veritek couldn't catch him. He couldn't catch the knuckleball. He always had trouble with that. So I forget what led up to it, but the Red Sox signed or acquired Doug Mirabelli right before a Wakefield start and they were trying to get him to the park in time for the start, but it wasn't looking good. And so Veritek had his stuff on, you know, he it was looking like he might have to at least start the game. And they brought Doug Mirabelli in from the airport under basically a police escort to get Correct. him to get him to the park. And he was like, you could you could literally see him running. You know, there was an overhead shot of Doug Mirabelli outside of Fenway Park running through the crowd to get in. And 
He's just he's struggling simultaneously just to get his uniform on and get into the game. And that was because Tim Wakefield needed needed a guy who could catch the knuckleball. And, you know, it's we're, we're trying to process it. It's fresh. And, you know, so there's just so many little nuggets that Wakefield was a part of that are just so memorable. So Mirabelli was flown on a private jet. He he left at the end of the year. I think it was what, 2001 going to 2002, I think, right? And he was given the opportunity to be a starter, didn't really hack it, asked for a trade to go back to Boston, was granted the trade. Um, when they flew him back, it was private jet. His uniform was sent over in the squad car so that he could okay. get changed in the car. And uh, he got there from from – Logan Airport to Fenway Park in less than 15 minutes was fully dressed, ready for first pitch at 7.09 or something like that. It was it was literally incredible. But if that doesn't dictate how important a single player is to that team, I don't know what is. We're going to fly a player who we just traded for private to get here on a moment's notice to catch your game. That is world-class respect and just clout in my book. And here's the other thing too. We talk about how special and how important Tim Wakefield was for all of us. The guy was an all-star the very first time in 2009 at age 42 when most players in Major League Baseball are already done Six years ago, five years ago, and Wake went for another two years after that. He went into that all-star break 10 and three with a ERA just over four, but still 10 wins before the all-star break. Incredible. No, I think his ERA was low uh, going into it. Um, he His second half wasn't quite so good, but that first half of the I could season, be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, that first half of the season was amazing. And, uh, you know, you kind of bring up an interesting point because how many people didn't even come close to 45 Rick Porcello, 32 years old, not in the league anymore, you know? And the thing with Porcello, the excuse for keeping him around was, Oh, he can eat innings, but guess what? No one was interested. And John Lester, I, he went to like 38. That's pretty, that's quite a distance, I guess. Uh, Clay Buckholtz was done, you know, mid thirties, probably age 33, 34 without looking. Um, so th that's a really long time. I mean, you've got Rich Hill who's approaching that age. Bartolo Colon, I think was 45, 46. There's not many that, that get that far that can, help a team win and, and, and serve a, serve a purpose uh, on a major league roster like Wakefield did. So just did a little stat check here, 11 and three record before the all-star game, stupid number, 4.31 ERA, still not crazy. That was before the game. Bef yeah. Before oh. the all-star break huh. had an 11, I know 11 and three record. I think I can count on one hand how many pitchers have had double-digit wins for the Boston Red Sox before the All-Star break in my time. Now you have pitchers who can't even get 10 for the Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only one I can think of is, remember when Buckholz was like 13-0, and something like that. 
but it's rare, you know, so the, there, we see. you know, really weird one off. There was one year where the Red Sox had John Burkett and Pedro Martinez and both went into the all-star game like eight. No, or something like that. It was really crazy, but neither one of them had lost a game, but that's for another day. Yeah. I, I don't know how much I can uh, add further, but uh, if you guys do. I mean, there's just a classic Bob Uecker quote, right? You know, the best way to catch a knuckleball is to wait until it stops rolling and then pick it up, right? You know, which I think might allude a little bit to what uh, Tech was talking about and, and how we were able to get Mirabelli back in the mix. But, you know, not, not really much else to add. You know, just wanted to give a special shout out to a player that meant so much to, to the three of us, right? You know, definitely helped uh, shape our love for the game, our love for, for the Red Sox, and, uh, you know, just hoping for all the best for his family in this difficult time. And his Absolutely. wife, too, apparently has pancreatic cancer, and I'm guessing they're going to want continued privacy there, but hopefully, you know, it's a tough one to fight, but hopefully they find a way. I sincerely hope that individuals that decide to share information that they shouldn't have shared recognize the importance of keeping their mouth shut and just understanding how to read the room really important you know absolutely yeah anything else that either one of you gents want to add all right no uh just a heads up uh, in case charlie didn't um our next episode is going to kind of be a fun one the bloom era officially over game 162 in the books we're going to compare that to the ben sherrington era another era both both uh GMs or whatever you want to call them finish last in three out of four. So that'll be the next show. And then our playoff predictions uh, later in the week. And we're going to try to steadily uh, have some playoff coverage uh, throughout the month of October. So um, we're going to try to bring on guests from, from some of the teams that are involved. So going to make it as uh, entertaining as we can, since we can never seem to make it ourselves. <laughs> But uh, maybe in 2024. Perfectly put. Thank you, T. Uh, that is going to wrap it for all of us here tonight. We want to thank all of our loyal listeners to our first-time listeners as well. We appreciate all of you. We recognize that without you, we would not be where we are today. Have a great night. Take care.